The Rebrand Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. Welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, and I Hear Everything production. This podcast tells the stories of world-changing marketing campaigns as told by the people who build them. In each episode, you'll hear an earful of brilliance from a marketer who has brought an iconic brand to life. Ready to hear the secrets and untold stories behind the brands you love? Then sit back, relax, and get ready for the rebrand. Here's the host of the Rebrand Podcast, the CEO of OH Partners, Scott Harkey. All right, welcome to the Rebrand Podcast, where we tell the untold stories of world-changing brand campaigns as told by the marketers who built them. I'm your host and founder of OH Partners, Scott Harkey. And today we're going to hear about how trust signals work and when to use them. Joining us is Scott Baradell, who is the CEO at Idea Grove, which is a public relations and marketing firm focused on B2B technology clients, working with clients ranging from venture-backed startups to Fortune 500 mainstays. And today, Scott and I are going to discuss understanding true signals. Here's my conversation with Scott Baradell, CEO at Idea Grove. What's up, man? Hi, how are you doing? Thanks for inviting uh, me. Oh, absolutely. Good to, good to be here. Good to hang with you. Uh, we were talking earlier, you got a cool book coming out, so I definitely want to talk about that. So... What are trust signals? We're in a world that no one trusts anything, as you and I were talking about. And I love that you talked about just uh, the barometer report, the, the Edelman trust factor, and you wrote a whole book about it. Talk to us about trust signals. Well, you know, I come from the world of originally of journalism, and then I went into the world of public relations. So, and we do digital marketing, but we kind of do it through the lens of someone coming from public relations, which approaches things a little differently. Most people, when they think of PR, they think of getting coverage in the news media. And on the topic of trust, we know that the relationship between the public and the news media has changed a lot over the last 50 years. You know, there's a lot less trust in the media. It used to be that a small number of big media outlets, the big networks, the big newspapers, the local newspaper in a community, these were trusted by the vast majority of American citizens and people in local communities. They trusted these news outlets. And so in PR, it made the job a lot easier because if you could get those outlets to cover your client, well, you would not only build awareness of your client that way, but it would confer the mantle of trust that media outlet had onto your client. In other words, People think they come to PR people or come to PR firms for awareness or visibility. That's what they say, but it's really not what they want. Because this day and age, you could just buy ads and follow people around on the internet. You'd bug the hell out of them, but you'd make them aware of you. So what people really want when they want media coverage is not awareness so much as the credibility and trust that is conferred by being in a credible outlet. So it used to be easy when everyone had the same basic were coming from the same place in terms of what was credible, what outlets to believe. Uh, the New York Times was all the news that's fit to print, you know. Now, and it used to be a huge coup 
to get uh, a story in the New York Times. And not that it's not necessarily one today, but half the people trust the New York Times, half the people don't. And I had this happen to me 10 years ago or so when uh, I had a client in oil and gas. I got them a piece in the New York Times. I got them an interview set up. The CEO was all excited. And then at the last minute, he called and canceled it. And he said that uh, he talked to some of his uh, clients and they said, oh, in the New York Times, you know, we don't trust the New York Times. There's nothing in there that we believe and they they don't like our industry. And so it was not going to be a negative story. But the more I thought about it, I thought, well, if for this audience, Fox News or Wall Street Journal or other outlets are going to be considered more credible, if that's what they read, if that's what they believe, I've got to take that into consideration. And, and I've just gone more down that path where, gosh, you know, there's so much fragmented media. It's not like in the old days where the Sunday paper would be delivered and you'd know who was on the front page and everybody in town would know you're on the front page. Who's, who really knows what the front page is anymore? If you're covered in any outlet, good luck having even a tiny fraction of the people you're trying to reach seeing that. It's just because things are so fragmented. So if that's the case and how people the sources of information that people believe are so different from person to person that you really have to think carefully about your audience and develop what, what I call, you know, cobbling together a continuum of influence, sources of trust that will appeal to your specific audience. Otherwise, you're just kind of lost out there in the world of uh, digital marketing because there's just so many things you could be doing. Online reviews, influencers, paid or unpaid, uh, social, media relations, analysts. There's so many options. Where do you start? And so the idea of this book is let's start with understanding your audience and then building what I call breadcrumbs of trust that will take your audience based on what they trust you know, on a path towards your website and then use your website as a vehicle of trust to help achieve your goal of converting that client or whatever you, the next step you want them to take. Wow. So much to unpack here. I, I love so much of what you said here. And yeah, I, I come from the media side before I started the agency 15 years ago. Um, I worked for CBS. And man, it, it's rapidly changing. New York Times, obviously. I mean, yeah, I mean, from a PR background, like, oh, I got a New York Times. Like, that's crazy. And then to have a client say no to that, we, we are in uncharted waters in terms of trust. And so I, I think your book is so relevant, especially in today's media. And then you, you could look at Elon Musk and Twitter and I mean, just all of this stuff. So I, I love how you're thinking of it like a true marketing professional, which is audience first and building from an audience perspective first, but more so than a promotion or a campaign, thinking about trust and channels of audience that will gain trust with the consumers that a brand has. Is I, I think what I'm, yeah. I'm hearing from you it makes it makes a ton of sense. I mean, holy cow! I mean, to reject a New York Times article, but that that makes sense. I mean, we're in such a a crazy world where news and influencers and podcasts and blogs are all like this mixed bag, and they are so focused and fragmented. To your point, so to be able to kind of reverse engineer from the end in mind makes a ton of sense. Like. How is there a process in which you go about doing this? I see how what sparked the insight for this this small tweak in how you're handling your clients. Could you tell us more maybe about the process of what you call what the breadcrumbs of trust? Yeah. 
Let me just say that it, it happens on both sides politically. Another thing we have happen was uh, we had a client in the Bay Area who, a technology company, that's who we work with. It was not a political story, but we got an interview set up with the Washington Times, which is known for being a conservative publication. And the person who was the marketer, who was just going to talk about technology to this person, said, that's a trash publication. I'm not going to talk to them. <laughs> and, yeah. and so it kind of it begs the question, wait, should you... Be decide, you're a marketer. I mean, yeah. should you be deciding what your audience reads just because based on what you think? It's like a lot of PR people in the past, in, in lieu of research, would just ask the client, what publications do you want to be in? And yeah, the yeah, CEO yeah, is yeah. like, well, I think the CEO would love to be in Forbes. Well, that's great. But do any of your clients or buyers read Forbes? So our process, traditionally, we've done buyer persona research. So because we work in B2B tech, we use a qualitative research method based on something developed by a woman named Adele Ravella, who started the Buyer Persona Institute. She wrote a great book a few years ago called Buyer Personas that I highly recommend. And we just basically adopted her methodology, which involves doing uh, journalistic style phone interviews or Zoom interviews with wins and losses out of our clients' CRMs. And then finding those common themes and threads in terms of what led someone to, to look for a solution, what were the obstacles to, to making a decision, how'd you reach your consideration set, what was the, the buying process or the buyer's journey. We did all of that, we've done that, and we've always used that in terms of helping, and, and particularly that buyer's journey piece, uh, in terms of kind of what sources of information online you, you used. So we used all that to, to help us get a sense of who our clients' customers were, but I realized ultimately that's an inadequate tool for today for two reasons. One is that there are audiences that matter to brands today besides their buyers. So much, I've had uh, companies come to me, particularly with the great resignation and so forth, say, oh, I don't need more customers. I need more employees to serve mm -hmm. the customers I have. Employer branding. So employees are a really important audience for a lot of companies. Investors, obviously, uh, are mm -hmm. a lot of uh, are an important audience. The community at large, if someone decides to cancel you or you do something that someone considers objectionable or say something, it doesn't have to be about the customers. It, I had a, the uh, hair salon I go to, they uh, had the same name as another salon in town. And they shortly after lockdown, uh, when and during COVID, they started getting all these hate messages and all these one-star reviews online. And they didn't know what was going on. And finally, someone told them, oh, this other salon that also has basically the same name, that person decided to open their salon despite the lockdown to protest, and it became this big to-do. Uh, Ted Cruz went and had a haircut uh, at this place. <laughs> it became this big thing. So it, because then, so... They're getting like 100 one-star reviews. And they're like, wait, we don't have anything to do with this. So they went on the local news. So the point is they had to realize that the, there's a world they have to care about that exists beyond their salon chairs, right? You have to think about non-buyer audiences today. So the idea is, so there's two things that we're missing from the buyer personas. How do you factor in non-buyer audiences? Because buyer personas are for buyers. And then how do you think about for the buyers the considerations that go into a purchase or how they think about your brand that have nothing to do with the features and the benefits of the product. 
because we do most of our buyer persona research. We're talking about, oh, you're comparing these two products. What did you like? Why did you choose this one over that one? And so forth. When increasingly, and this is something that Edelman's trust barometer surveys have shown consistently has increased, but there's a very high percentage of people and particularly younger people who will buy a product based on their, their perception of that company's values. And they will buy it even if they don't think it's as good because the values and feeling like you're supporting companies that share your values has become so important. So that's something that's not factored into typical marketing research or buyer persona research. So non, non features and benefits, non product related buying considerations and then non buyer audiences were two factors that we had totally left out of the equation. So we, we developed this concept of what we call a trust profile where you can go to your combination of quantitative and qualitative research, where you can go to your buyers and survey them and get a sense of, hey, how do you feel about issues like sustainability, Black Lives Matter, family values? What sources of information do you trust? Do you watch? Do you believe? And then you get this data and then you can make a decision based on that data rather than just shooting from the hip. You know, look at Nike. So... Nike, in I think it was 2018, they did this big campaign with Colin Kaepernick. And it was, of course, a controversial figure. And you had big protests on social media and people burning their shoes and things like that. Do you think Nike cared? No, because Nike had done its research. Mm -hmm. Nike knew who its audience were that mattered, who its buyers were. And that campaign was a huge success for Nike. Their stock price shot up. They attributed quite a bit in terms of revenue growth to that campaign. Now, would Colin Kaepernick have worked out as a spokesperson for Chick-fil-A or Hobby Lobby? You know, probably not, right? Wow, yes. You know? and, but I'll tell you an example of it, why you need to do the research and not be so focused on, you need to treat it as like any other marketing decision where you have to use data if you want to make the right decision. We had a a client uh, during the pandemic who had this really cool technology that was very relevant. Let's just put it that way. And it also was, I didn't want to give too much away, but it was something that lent itself to being on TV. It was very visual. And we were like, yes, this is a great story. We could pitch this. It's very top, timely with COVID. It's visual. We're going to start pitching it. I only want to be on Fox Business Network and Fox News because the rest of it's all trash. Not kidding. Wow. So we said, well, okay, and maybe that's 100% true, but your product, it appeals to, from what I can tell, uh, people who might have a wide range of political views and views about what outlets are are truthful and not. So are you really just arbitrarily going to cut off Mm-hmm. Trying to put your product in front of all these people who might be interested in it just because of your views of what outlets are trustworthy and not considering that your audience or your buyers might have other views of what's trustworthy. Oh, there's so much to unpack here. And I love what I'm hearing because as we are continually going into a very politicized world and media outlets, companies, influencers, brands are certainly building audience around some very strong values. And you could call them 
political issues, you can call them values, wh- whatever you'd want, uh, probably a mix of both. And so to really think about uh, three-dimensionally your brand more than just the buyer personas, I totally agree. And more than just what you could get coverage in from a, an awareness standpoint makes a ton of sense. And now as, as we're, it just keeps getting more intense. And so to, to have trust with so many different uh, layers, not just customers, man, I love what I'm hearing. I want to see this tool as a marketer. I mean, so many PR people are really good at what they do, but a lot of times it's either crisis or it's giving or it's awareness, but to really think of it in such a different way. I haven't heard this before, which, which I love. The other piece that you said, which I think is super interesting, before I further recap what you're talking about, What's the name of the, your book again? Because people have to get their hands on it. I definitely am going to get my hands on it. So let's let's plug the book really quick here. Sure. Uh, the book is called Trust Signals, Brand Building in a Post-Truth World. And uh, yeah, it came out October 18th. And uh, I've been really, it has two objectives. One is I've been trying to modernize, to do my part to help modernize the PR profession. Because I feel like it's kind of painted itself into corner mm-hmm. as traditional media relations has become less and less effective on its own. And so that's one thing is help kind of drag PR kicking and screaming into the future. But it's also a practical tool for helping business owners. It can be a yep. small business. It can be a large business to think about all the things going on out there online and try to pull some common threads together in terms of prioritizing what things you should be doing to earn trust among all the potential options out there. And what are the audiences that you classify as trust audiences? Again, you you have buyers, you have employees. The one point I was going to make is you talked about the employee side. Almost all campaigns with uh, larger companies we work with now, I've been really making sure we're tying the internal employee brand promise to also the consumer brand promise because it's just more efficient from a paid standpoint and an owned standpoint that tying those together. I think you should be able as a brand to communicate both why you are important to both your employees from a trust and, and brand standpoint and customers, right? That, you know, what you stand for helps both of those segments. So we've done a lot of that. And I've seen a lot more of that. You've seen other brands do that, especially. Um, you know, I think it's great. Um, so I think that's so smart to be doing it that way. What I always tell people when they're thinking about branding being uh, some fancy ad campaign or focusing on what the logo looks like, it's brands exist for one primary reason, and that is to uh, make something that's not human, meaning a corporation, seem human. So that starts with the fact that a corporation is just a stack of legal documents somewhere, right? Even the founder can leave. So there's not any necessarily continuity. It's owned by a million people in the stock market. If it's a public company, they can buy and sell it. So it's owned by, it can be owned by a totally different group of people. They can let, people can come and go. So what, what are you buying if I buy that stock? I have to be assured that there's going to be some sense of continuity there in terms of the business model. And so that's where branding comes from. It's all about ensuring consistency in that brand, maintaining and building that brand equity is all about that. So having the same message that you're using for employees, that you're using for uh, customers you're trying to reach, that you're using for the broader community, that makes it so much more effective today. And it's it's just necessary. It's so funny you mentioned that because I'm thinking about back in the day before people realized how things had come together, um, it was very common for corporations to have extremely different messages that they would deliver to, say, an investor audience, an employee audience. 
This happened yeah. in my case. I have to confess way back, uh, it was early internet days. Let's put it that way. So it was before there was an understanding of just how powerful a vehicle it was. Mike, I was at a company that laid off 2,000 employees. This was out of 6,000, a third of the employees. Wow. Matt, so, but what, as was true in this case, and as was true of basically every restructuring at the time, you get on a phone call with investors, as you did at the time, the CEO is all smiles. Look, look what we've been working with McKinsey for the last year. And look, we've got this great plan for the future, and we're going to be more profitable than ever. And paragraph six, and unfortunately, you know, it did leave 2,000 people. But I promise you they were our worst 2,000 people. You know, it was like that, you know. And, but to employees, you're, we're, I'm really, this really hurts my heart to let you guys go. And this is a yeah, yeah, yeah. Dark, dark day for our company. Yeah. yeah. But, but that's because you could, back then you could, you could separate. Yeah. Because they, now they all goes to the same place. You 100%. Know, the public can listen to these investor calls now. Any press release you put out is seen by everyone on the internet. So you better get your act together and be saying the same thing to everybody. Ah, man, you're you're touching on a lot of points. And here's the deal. So we are going to do another podcast tomorrow, which we're going to record back to back, of course, then release tomorrow. We, we want to cliffhanger some people a little bit. But so many things. I mean, we talked earlier, and I, I want to get into more all the different audiences from influencers to news publications, to employees, to investors, not just buyers, but all these other factors, um, multiple, multiple audiences that you need to build trust with. And I believe, like you, that we aren't in a revenue-driven value system anymore. We're in a belief economy, and we're seeing that more and more. And and the reason we're in a belief economy is people want to believe in something, and companies are a valued not as much by their total earnings. We saw it in the tech side, and I think it's just, it's continuing to grow, which is why you've seen a lot of the cancel culture stuff too. If you can get canceled, then your belief is gone and, and your company value is destroyed. So exactly, um, we are seeing a little bit of info wars, whether that's country by country, brand by brand. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here right now and my phone's blowing up and Elon Musk is releasing the Hunter Biden suppression stuff, right? And look, I'm not I'm here. Sorry to I for, I'm stuff. sorry I forgot to I'm sorry I forgot to wear my black mask today. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Look, and, and I'm not here to like talk about any political one side or the other. Like I just think it's fascinating as a marketing person watching all this stuff go down and you see what's happening. You see how people are really out there to completely gain belief. Elon's done, I mean, look at his companies, they don't make a ton of money, right? But people believe that his companies are gonna be valued at X. Yeah. So I want to get into all of this. I want to clip here some people because I know there's so many insights. I, I, I know some marketing people listening to the podcast like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to get this book. Okay, I'm glad I'm listening to this podcast. I've come to the right home because I'm learning shit. And I learn shit every time I'm on this damn podcast, which I freaking love. So, okay, we're, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Rebrand Podcast. Huge thanks to Scott Baradell, CEO at Idea Grow for joining us. Definitely want to get your hands on this book coming out. But we're going to keep going on part two of this interview, which we're going to publish tomorrow. Scott and I are going to discuss B2B branding lessons. He's going to take us to school again. I'm going to have my damn notepad out. And I want to see the process and how he's doing this stuff. So we're going to have a follow-up call because I know I have some clients and people. I, I want them to see this. So you're going to want to stick around for episode two. If you can't wait until our next episode and you want to learn more about Scott, you'll find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. Uh, you can contact them on Twitter where his handle is Dallas Inbound or visit his company website at ideagrove.com. 
Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while listening, head over to therebrandpod.com and we'll have all the summaries of the episodes and contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our newsletter, of course. But if you want to talk about the most impactful marketing campaign, you can always apply to be a guest speaker on the Rebrand Podcast. Of course, you can find us on social media. Our handle is rebrandpod. And we're on all the stuff, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Probably easier to find me personally. I'm on Twitter at SharkyAZ. You can also find me on LinkedIn and Instagram, Scott Harkey. I'm even on TikTok. I think it's Scott Harkey. You should be able to find me. Uh, there's a finance guy I just learned the other day on LinkedIn, also named Scott Harkey, crazy finance expert in Charlotte. So um, that's a different Scott Harkey. But if you haven't subscribed, uh, you want a daily stream of marketing campaign brilliance in your podcast feed. We'll publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button. We're building this audience up. So uh, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. And we'll be back uh, the next business day. I love it because it just pops right in my phone. I'm a Spotify guy and all my favorite podcasts, I just get it right back there. So if, if you want this and you need to get marketing information, you want to read long books and you want you know 15 minutes of good stuff, just hit that guy and we're going to be right back there. That's it for today. But remember, it's never too late to rebuild, reboot, rebrand, and I'd even add relearn. Let's go.